It's a privilege to be back here. I uh, have fond memories of, uh, of this fellowship since the last time I was with you guys. Um, even one of uh, just my impressions is this is a church that loves the Word of God. Uh, one memory I have is um, that uh, last time I was here, I uh, had just come in, was being greeted by just experiencing some classic haven hospitality. And uh, Sister Vivian came up to me, and she said to me, uh, you, uh, I hope you have a word uh, from the Lord for us today. And I said, I hope so too. And she said, uh, that's the wrong answer. You can turn around and leave uh, until you have the right answer. And so today, Miss Vivian, I want you to know, like, we're prayed up, we're ready to go, okay? So glad to be here. Thanks, uh, thanks Andrew, again for the invitation uh, to join the Sweet Fellowship. I'm grateful for this church's witness this outpost of the kingdom on this side of the county. Thank you for being faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ here. And uh, thanks again, Dennis, for leading us in song and scripture. I've lost him. Oh, there he is. Thank you, brother. And uh, may the Lord raise up more faithful servants like Dennis in our city, right? We need more people like Dennis in our churches. So let me pray for us as we move into the time of the sermon. Father in heaven, thanks again for this opportunity to open your word with your saints, which You purchase with your own blood. Lord, help us to um, hear from you today, Lord, that you would hide your word in our hearts so we would not sin against you, Lord. Um, Hide me behind the cross and may the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart be pleasing unto you, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we are in a new year and uh, everybody approaches the new year in a variety of different ways. Some people approach it by resolutions, and some people set them up for the for inevitable disappointments of these things, right? I was doing a little bit of physical uh, research on physical fitness because I, myself, I need to, you know, I've got some goals this year. We'll see if uh, I can work off the pork tenderloin from Christmas dinner. And uh, I don't know how true some of these stats are, but I found them very interesting. Uh, and I, they have to be somewhat true because they're on websites for gym owners. So, Put some of that quality, uh, you know, PhD research to task. I got some reporting here for you. If you're an average American with a gym joining resolution in 2023, you're going to do it this month. Okay? That's not surprising. But if you join a gym as a result of your New Year's resolution, there is an 80% chance that you're going to cancel that gym membership uh, in the same year. Pretty interesting, right? Our smartphones know so much about us that Bloomberg reported that if you drop your fitness membership, you're going to do so probably in the window between the third Thursday of January and the first Thursday of February. And I thought to myself, this is very creepy. How does Google know this about us? And it's because our check-ins and our orders at fast food restaurants increase at a rate, uh, you know, inverse to our check-ins and our memberships at gyms. So there you go. They, the Internet knows when we start buying more McDonald's than we start going to Planet Fitness, uh, we've given up on our resolutions. But there is one factor that does reduce that risk, and I thought this was really interesting. If you really hope to stick with your resolution this year, Your best hope is group exercise classes. The single factor in slashing that is to enroll in a group exercise uh, class, so part of your gym, whatever this is. It's so effective that it drops your risk by 50% of canceling your resolution. I thought that was 
Very interesting. You're 50% less likely to disengage and exercise. But now on to our spiritual fitness. Each year, you and I have a wonderful opportunity to pick again in 2023 what house, what your house will serve. Will it serve the Lord or will you serve yourselves? We get that opportunity every year. Who will you serve? Choose for yourself which day this day you will serve. And I I hope and I pray that this year you will say, this year my house and I will serve the Lord. And what I hope for us to see today, to get fresh confidence from Psalm 63, is that we can gain trust for 2023 by looking back at faithfulness in 2022. We can gain trust for 2023 by looking backwards for faithfulness in 2022. So if you have your Bibles, open with me to Psalm 63. Psalm 63, I'm going to read the text for us, and then we will, by God's help, explain it, what it means for us. Psalm 63 is a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness in Judah. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied, as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you on my bed. And meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. In the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult. For the mouths of liars will be stopped. When I asked your pastor what he would like for me to cover today, um, he gave me a few psalms. He said, prayerfully consider preaching on one of these psalms. And I I thought about it and prayed about it. And I thought, Psalm 63 is a wonderful psalm for us as we think about a new year, how we need to have fresh longings. So the title of this sermon is New Year Fresh Longings. So if you're like me and you're the kind of person that sets New Year's resolutions, I pray today as a result of this sermon, that you will be challenged to have a fresh longing in this new year. I want to take a look at this psalm and kind of do three things. The first today is I want to look at David's setting. Where is David? Where do we find him? And then I want to look at the spiritual disciplines of David. What what is David doing in his setting? And then we're going to look at how Christ is the one who satisfies. And we're going to close by bending all that reflection in our own practical spiritual fitness regimen for 2023. So let's see where David finds him. My first point today is David found himself in peril. This is the title of the psalm, but it is in the Hebrew text. So it is part of the text. The superscription, so it's not verse one, it's the title, is important. The editor of the book of Psalms, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, when they're putting them together, said this is where this happens in David's life. Now, where the wilderness is, is, is one of two places. In, uh, in David's life. Commentators are kind of split on this. The first one is when David is fleeing from Saul and he's in the wilderness from 1 Samuel 23. Commentators think it's most likely, however, that it's when he's in the rebellion of Absalom and he's sheltering and Ziba 
refreshes him. You'll remember from uh, 2 Samuel 16, 2. I'll read it for you. And the king said to Ziba, David said to Ziba, Why have you brought these? Ziba answered, The donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, the bread and summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine for those who faint in the wilderness for drink. So that text right there, faint in the wilderness for drink, makes commentators think this probably occurred during the rebellion of Absalom. But that is not as important as recognizing that in a time of trial, David looks for relief. That's what, that's what the, the emphasis is here. What is important for us is that David finds himself in peril. And many times, you and I can make David out to be a mythological figure or some person that we do a lot of character studies about. But I would implore you to see today in the text that these details of David being in peril in the wilderness are to show us that David was a real person that God cared personally for and that the circumstances of David's life mattered to the Lord God. So that when you find yourself in peril, you'll know that the God of the universe cares about you and your circumstances and your setting. Our settings are not incidental to God. They are not an accident of God, and they are not irrelevant details in who we are. And so in the same way that we see David in peril, it's possible in 2023 that you might find yourself in peril, or at least some sort of trial. The Bible tells us we'll find trials. It says, do not be surprised when trials come upon you. So David's response to his trial is instructive to us. What does David do? David moves his heart to worship. Point number two, he moves his heart to worship. He finds himself in peril. His response to that peril is instructive to us. He immediately moves himself to worship. We have in this text, so to speak, almost like the journal entry of a man who's going through a severe struggle. If somebody opened up your journal today, In a life trial that you're walking through, how different would your response be than David's response that we're about to see here? Are you moved to worship in your journal? Or are you moved to complain in your journal? This is an operative question for us. There's not condemnation here, but it's an invitation as we think about our spiritual fitness regimen in 2023. When we find ourselves in peril, will we move ourselves to worship like David? Point number two, move our hearts to worship. David does two things in this text. The first thing is, is he knows who God is. Look again at verse 1 and 2. He says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Verses 1 and 2 are a theological statement. Now, This is maybe not as dense as a systematic theology book, but it is a profoundly theological statement. Because David, when he's in trial, he tells his trial who his God is. Let's look at what some of these phrases mean. Earnestly, I seek you. The verb earnestly, I seek you, is a watching and waiting verb. Originally, in the most ancient times, it meant waiting for dawn. It's that hour at about 4 o'clock when it's still dark outside... And you've not slept all night and you're just waiting until the dawn wakes up so that you can go out and and you can get ready for your day. Each and every one of us knows what it's like to wait for a dawn, right? Maybe not literally. When it's that case, you're not just wanting the dawn. You're not just wanting the resolution of the night of your soul. 
right? You're longing for that dawn. I'm not at liberty to, you know, discuss it publicly at this particular moment, but I've recently, at the end of 2022, walked through some trials in my life where I've stayed awake and I've thought about conversations that I'm going to have to have the next morning. And I've been waiting for the dawn. But I'm not waiting for those conversations. I'm waiting for the dawn after I have those conversations, right? You all know what it's like to wait for the dawn. News you might not want to hear from a doctor, right? A story that maybe somebody shared with you that burdens your heart and you're yearning for the dawn of that resolution of that situation. David's already gotten his bad news. Whether he's being pursued by Saul or whether it's the rebellion of Absalom, he knows that there's a problem, there's a trial in his setting. And our text tells us that David is quite literally lying in bed awake. Instead of waiting for the morning, he goes straight to God. Another important thing to think about here is the word soul occurs four different times in this text. And when David talks about his soul longing for the Lord, this is, if you care about these sorts of things, his nepes, right? His deep longings, his appetite. If he thinks about what he's hungry for, that's the soul in the Hebrew mind. It's the same word that Moses uses in Genesis when it says that he takes the clay and he breathes the soul into the man, the life into the man. David's longing here is deeper than a superficial want or aspiration. It's not that he's just wanting the morning to come. It's the very core of his life. He's begging, I'm waiting on you, Lord. I'm waiting on you, Lord. He's longing for the very source of life. So in verse 2, when he says, so, he's longing, and so he knows. The word so indicates to us that David knows because of past experiences in the sanctuary He can trust God to deliver him in his time of trial. Look at what what he says about God. He says, this is why it's so theological. He says, I know you personally, God, right? You are my God, not just the creator of the universe, not just a God, but you are my God, Lord. So David knows God personally. He gives God priority. I'm seeking you early, right? In the watches of the night, he's earnestly seeking him, waiting for the dawn with a deep longing like a dry land waits for water. He also sees God as the solution. He's not looking for any quick fixes. He's knowing you have to go straight to God here. God's previously satisfied longings for David, and so David knows if I go to God in my setting of trial, he will come again. On this passage, Augustine of Hippo wrote that unless a man finds himself in a desert, a desert of the soul, he will never look for the good of God. God will oftentimes take us through deserts in order to make us thirsty for him. So if you find yourself in a desert, why why am I in this place? It's because the Lord is wanting to make you thirsty for him. Brothers and sisters, David knows who God is. David's seen the depths of his own sin and the forgiveness of God. He knows to run there when a new trial comes. But this is important. There isn't a tabernacle in this wilderness. He can't travel to the sanctuary at this particular time. Settings and circumstances will change for you in 2023, but the place of refuge, God will never change for you. So even though David can't get to the sanctuary, he still knows the true place to go, which is to the presence of God. 
So he knows who God is, but then he also knows, verse 3 and five, three through 5, he knows that God will give a better relief than any other lesser relief. Look again with me at verses 3 through 5. Because of your steadfast love, because it's better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live in your name. I will lift up my hands. My soul be satisfied as with fat and rich foods, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. We have to admire the settled confidence of David, who knows that God is better than any lesser relief. We can see from our text that David knows who God is. He's his God. He knows that he's worth waiting for in the morning, and he knows that he's going to provide relief for him. And we can also appreciate the fact that David knows that God is the only one who can satisfy this longing. David knows that he probably does have water with him. Maybe, right? He could take a sip of water. But he knows ultimately that will not satisfy. He needs for God to show up. So again, let's look at some of the details of the text which tell us that sort of thing. Right? Verse 5 is an interesting phrase, fat and rich food. In a culture where there is no Kroger you can run to to buy a rib roast, rich and fat foods were incredibly rare. I could use a little bit more rarity of rich and fat food in my life, but most Israelites ate bread, wine, olive oil, and beans. Which, I mean, I love pintos as much as the next guy, but if you put a plate of rib roast and pintos and, and kind of lentils next to, next to each other, I know that I'm picking the fat and rich food. But that was not a luxury. So in the ancient mind, you waited for fat and rich food, and it might have only occurred once or twice, maybe in a year, at some of the high feasts of the Old Testament. Each of us knows what it's like to be satisfied with fat, rich food. Even, even we in our day, unless you are you know, far wealthier than I, you're not eating rib roast every day. It's only for special occasions, Christmas, Maybe Easter. Maybe you have a ribeye on Father's Day and maybe your birthday. But in general, I'm not eating ribeye every night, right? That idea of tasting and seeing that the Lord is good, waiting for fat and rich food, is David's own thought and meditation in Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. The same written by David. The same when Abimelech was trying to steal the throne from him. David repeatedly knows in trial when the things that I care about are about to be taken away from me, only God can satisfy me. David has learned over the years that God is the one who satisfies. So here in Psalm 63, David knows that it's only God who will relieve his thirst and relieve his hunger. He's fainting in the wilderness, and he knows that it's not enough to have a snack. He needs the Lord. And I want to just ask us, how often are we robbing ourselves of a greater relief because we're suppressing our appetite with some lesser pleasure? You know, years ago, you might remember these, uh, Snickers had this ad campaign where it would present itself as a meal replacement bar. I don't know if any of you guys remember this. It was a very bizarre time in American food advertising. And uh, there would be the commercials, you'd have a bear kind of growling in a boardroom and uh, it would just be uh, just tearing up the boardroom, and, and a narrator would say, you're not yourself when you're hungry. Here, have a Snickers. You guys remember this? The person would eat it, then they'd come down from their hanger, and then they'd suddenly be normal, which is nuts that anybody would think they could pass a Snickers bar off as a health food meal replacement bar. I guess 
I don't know, the peanuts or something. Who knows uh, what they were doing. It was a great ad, though, because a lot of people thought it was a health bar, okay? Um, How many of us in our time of trials have relied on lesser relief? Rather than getting a meal, we swap that fatty meal, that filling meal for a Snickers bar. Right, for sure, a Snickers bar can relieve some hunger, but it has no nutrition, no protein, nothing to sustain the hard work of life. You're going to have a sugar high and then a sugar crash. And how many times in our spiritual life are we numbing our trials with lesser reliefs? I've been interested to see my generation, especially, but particularly the younger generation, they really value self-care. Let me just say, self-care is important. I'm not trying to say nobody should care about themselves. But especially in my generation younger, people are beginning to talk about self-care as if it's messianic. That I have to take care of myself in order to fulfill all of my needs, in order so I don't burn out, in order so I don't do all these sorts of things. Everybody needs to take breaks. We need a rest. We need Sabbath. We need to sleep. I'm not saying that. I'm talking about the expectations people are beginning to put on self-care. If you're not aware, just go to Barnes & Noble and browse the self-help area. It used to just be one bookcase, right, in Barnes & Noble. Now it's a, whole, it's a whole section, right, as big as the, uh, the Bible section in, uh, in Barnes & Noble. My wife and I were with friends recently, and they were talking about their marriage. And they all said true things. I want to be clear. They all said true things about their relationship, that they needed to have better communication skills. That's a true thing. We all need to grow in communication. They needed to make space for each other to be themselves. Okay, okay, fine, right? Um, But when we got in the car uh, to drive home, she kind of looked at me and she said, isn't that a bit odd, all that talk about managing the problems in their marriage? And not once did these Christians talk about the fact that they're just sinning against each other and they need to repent and forgive each other. At the end of the day, he's not forgiving her and she's not forgiving him. We can manage our sin and we can manage our longings, right? And in so doing, trade a lesser relief for a greater solution, right? They could manage their communication issues, but they'd only ever be able to manage the same old thing until they drug themselves into the throne room of grace so that God would crucify their sin and give them new life in their marriage. In our spiritual lives, we can choose to relive our trials or relieve our trials with lesser solutions, but we will never be satisfied. Our trials will never be resolved until God is all. So verse, the second thing that that David does, this is point number three, David looks forward to future satisfaction. Verse six through eight. Before I read it, let me just remind us, he 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 knows who he belongs to. He also knows that God alone would satisfy so David's worship was the starting place of his confidence. Okay, he's got deep roots, so he's confident for future satisfaction. Look again at verse 6 through 8. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, you have been my help, and the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. Verse 7 has the why. He does this because... You have been my help. The verb is past perfect, which means ever since time started up until this very point, you've been my help. 
So why can David wait? Because he knows that thus far God has brought him. That's why I wanted, uh, when Dennis and I were talking about songs, that's why I wanted to sing um, the song, the last song that we just sang, right? When Robert Robinson wrote, Come Thou Fount, it is because his family had just perished in a shipwreck. And his, his prayer to God is, I've only gotten this far by your help. Hitherto thy help I've come. Let me translate that and put it in modern English. I've only gotten this far, Lord, because you've brought me this far. Hitherto thy help I've come. Right? And why is he raising an Ebenezer? The root of that word is here, help. You have been my help. Verse 7. Ezer is a word familiar to us all. It's the word we translate help in our Bible. We sang it a little bit while ago. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Eben stone, Ezer help. My stone of hope. Updating this hymn a little bit, let me say it this way. Here I raise my Ebenezer. I've only gotten this far by your help. And I hope because of your good pleasure, you will keep me all the way until I get home. And of course, he will. God repeatedly in the scriptures reveals himself to be a helper. He is our helper. And then who? When Christ ascends into heaven, who does he send down? He sends who? The helper, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit. God repeatedly is the helper of the weak, lowly, and meek. The ones who, what? Thirst and hunger for righteousness. That is, God is the help of the righteous. David knows that God will deliver him in the future because he knows that God delivered him in the past. And how does he know that? Because he intends on hiding himself in the shadow of God's wing. That's a bizarre phrase, shadow of your wing. So let's talk about why is David putting a lot of emphasis and thought and confidence into being in the shadow of God's wing? Well, in Exodus, God compared his deliverance of his people as flying out on what? Wings like, yes, right, eagle's wings. What is on the Ark of the Covenant? Wings over the mercy seat. And in Deuteronomy, God reveals through Moses that God is like an eagle who wants to gather the people of Israel under his, what, wings. And when Jesus stands over the mountain and looks at Jerusalem and says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I wished I could gather you under my wings. God wants to cover us and care for us before he wants to do anything for us. But he won't keep us from the wanting of that because he wants for us not to look for lesser reliefs. He wants us to find the greatest relief in him. So he's happy to let David go through a wilderness so that David again would freshly learn that he needs to long again for the Lord. That he's awake at night doing so tells us something of the difficulties of his circumstance. David isn't able to fall asleep. The text tells us, verse 6, I remember you on my bed. David's lying awake at night. How many of us have done it? We just lied awake, stare at the ceiling, because the anxieties of the next day are just too great. Meditate on the watches of the night. The night is divided up into watches, shifts. When you would watch the city wall and you'd watch out for threats coming to the city, that period of time, watches was the shifts that would take place all the shifts of the night david is staying awake he's poetically saying i'm awake in my bed and the only thing i can do is think about the lord it's important for us to get bodily sleep for sure neglecting sleep is irresponsible and it's not a good stewardship of your body right you need physical sleep but there is a sleep which is deadly 
And David is showing us, giving us insight that there is a sleep which is deadly. Because David could have found ways to make him fall asleep. He could have numbed himself with strong drink and done like Noah and fallen asleep. But he chooses to embrace the trial he's in so that he can see and taste that the Lord is good. Because David wants his soul to be alert. There's a sleep which kills, and it is a sleepless, or it's a sleepful soul. David's longing is admirable. Because he hasn't sought a lesser relief, he's holding out for a greater one. You and I, again, we can mask our spiritual needs with temporary relief and lull ourselves into sleep, uh, spiritual drowsiness. Repeatedly in Paul's epistles, Romans 13, Ephesians 5, he tells us to stay sober, await, watching, and waiting. You should bodily sleep, yes, but your souls should never be allowed to fall asleep. One of the times when the disciples missed perhaps one of the greatest spiritual blessings, they could have seen the Lord Jesus Christ interceding on their behalf in Gethsemane. What are they doing? Sleeping, right? And Jesus asked him, could you not stay awake one watch? Don't, brothers and sisters, don't find yourself soul sleeping, right, today. I don't mean like Jehovah's Witness, just with your souls not alert. So how do you keep an alert soul? The greatest means of keeping an alert soul is this right here, regularly gathering together with the body of Christ, like the book of Hebrews tells us to. Why? Because when you're gathered together, your brothers and sisters can see your life and do what? Spur you on to good works. Hebrews chapter 10. It's where your shepherds and your deacons are most likely to see you. It's where you're going to hear the Bible preached, prayed, and sung. It will keep your soul alert. The other great means of keeping your soul alert is regular prayer. What's your prayer life like? Are you identifying your needs through the day and putting them to the Lord? Or do you solve your problems before you think about asking the Lord for help? I say, are you meditating on the scriptures? The Hebrew word for meditate is similar to the word chew. And why chew? Because if you're saying the words of scripture over and over, it looks like your mouth is chewing food. Oh God, you are my God, right? Just chewing food, right? If somebody's meditating on scripture, they didn't do it in their head, they mumbled. Do you snack on the scriptures? You can keep your soul alert by snacking on the scriptures. You start small with a few memory verses. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. And build out until you have passages of scripture that you can be meditating on, snacking regularly. They say we need to eat five times a day, small snack meals. If that's what your body needs, certainly your soul needs at least five, probably more, snacks throughout the day, reminding yourselves of the promises of God. So let me remind you, by not training ourselves to remember God on our bed or in the watches of the night, you will find a lesser relief for yourself in 2023. But it won't satisfy. Isn't satisfaction at the heart of our culture's want in self-care? People are thinking about how can I be okay? Self-care is great. You need sleep. You need to relax. You need rest. Like the Bible talks about rest. But it doesn't treat the greatest need you have because it's only a lesser relief. Only by going through the desert, wanting and waiting, will you see the fatty side when you're in the presence of the Lord. Don't trade a lesser for a greater. 
One commentator wrote on the passage here from 1 to 8 that this spirituality here, you might think that it's just a grit it, escape, or some otherworldly thing. You can fall on either side. We're just going to grit through my trial, or you're going to kind of just escape and wait for something better. The situation here is one of conflict thrust upon this king, which must be resolved with victory and defeat. David is going to get out of this either a winner or a loser. He doesn't know. God knows, of course. He doesn't know how this will happen. He has a confidence that God's going to deliver him, of course. But he's not omniscient. He has no idea what's going to happen. The king will win because God's on his side, and the usurper will lose because God opposes that. But in our lives, conflicts, right, the power and majesty of seeing God's deliverance is the most satisfying thing. Right? When you see God resolve your trial and you think to yourself, I had nothing to do with that, the Lord delivered me. And I'm sure each of us has at least one or two experiences where we can think to ourselves, I really had nothing to do with that. Certainly our salvation is the first one that you can think about. Maybe in 23 you reflect on yourself, I didn't do anything to deserve this. But I know that there are other times, brothers and sisters, where you've come through a trial and you've looked back and you think to yourself, I don't know how we got out of that one. And that's David's experience right now. And that's Psalm 1 through 8. He knows he's able to look back at those, I didn't do anything to get out of this. And so he knows I don't have to do anything to get out of this because, verses 9 through the end of the psalm, he has a confidence, right? He's a confidence. But verses 1 through 8, I still want to spend a little bit of time here, right? With the thirsting and the wanting. Isn't that the implication of John chapter 4? I had this read this passage because Jesus answers a woman who's been what? Waiting on the Messiah. I know when he comes, he will tell us all things, right? And Jesus, of course, says to her, I am he of whom you speak. And what did Jesus say about himself? He said he would do what? Quench the thirst of the people who are waiting. Jesus is the one who alone will quench and thirst, finally, the longings of the Jews and Gentiles who don't yet believe in him. So because, verse 1 through 8, he has a settled confidence, he knows, finally, this is my last point, David knows his defense in danger, verses 9 and 9 through 11. David knows his defense in danger. He's a settled confidence because the character of God and his trust in him. When you and I think about whether we can trust certain things, we do what David did. Who's the manufacturer of this ladder? Where was it made? It's a question we ask. We know if a toy's going to break, depending on where it was made, right? Is this ladder going to buckle under my weight? Right? Well, is it made with aluminum? Or right now I need steel. That's, that's where I'm at right now, you know? Are they reputable? Did the manufacturer... Are they reputable? Is this a safe ladder? Is this a good, solid chair? Where do we buy this from? Have they built good products in the past, if it's something new? When it comes to the small things, we look at past experiences to determine future trustworthiness. Does the same not hold for greater things? Looking to the one beheld in power and glory. Who made this world? Is he trustworthy? What else did he do? We saved me. Can he not be trusted to build a ladder, so to speak? Can he not be trusted to take you through this desert? Did he not resurrect you from the dead spiritually? He can be trusted to walk you through 
a trial. David is doing this, and we do it all the time. So I'm encouraging you to be like David and do this in your spiritual life. Build the spiritual foundation of reflecting, did God do this in the past? Can he be trusted to do it in the future? The answer is yes. David knew that God was greater than his trial and could be trusted for whatever comes. Verse 9 through 11. Those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over the power of the sword. They should be portioned for jackals. But the king, David, shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. What are they lying? They're lying on David, saying that they're the true king. But David's the king, because God made David the king. And what, what David's action in the face of those who would seek to destroy him He doesn't choose to get the sword and fight his slanderers, the usurpers, the ones trying to steal his throne. He chooses to do what? It says, verse 11, to rejoice in God because he knows that God's the one who's going to have the final word. As I close, brothers and sisters, I don't know what 2023 will look like, but I do know that a new year needs a fresh longing. You and I will only find the confidence to go into 2023 by looking back at God's faithfulness in 2022. God's providence is going to likely lead some of us, but probably all of us, through some desert or two this coming year. And God is seeking worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Will you attempt to satisfy that longing in the desert with some lesser relief? Or... Will you seek your ultimate satisfaction in God, knowing that God's loving kindness is better than life itself? I'd rather die than seek a lesser relief. If you're in Christ, you already have the greatest deliverance already. But if you don't know the Lord, I promise today, would you trust in him and let him satisfy your soul's longing? Talk to me, talk to Mike, talk to anyone. They would love to tell you more about our Jesus who satisfies our thirst. But if you are in Christ, you've already received the greatest relief of your biggest trial yet. Christ has spared you from your worst enemy, the worst usurper that there is, your own flesh, who would tell you that you need to deny the Lord and trust yourself. And so, if he's already delivered you from the worst usurper, your own flesh, will he not also preserve you in spite of whatever comes? So, this year, cultivate these things by remembering your salvation. Peter tells us to confirm our election and our salvation. Remember your calling, your salvation. Gather, like I said, regularly with the body so you can spur one another on to good works. Don't miss church in 2023. Don't do it. You put your soul in peril. Sacrifice, returning to God, tithes and offerings. Say, I don't even need this to satisfy me, Lord. Pray, meditate, remember, chew on the scriptures. And you will find, like David, that the steadfast love is better than life itself. Let's pray and then we'll sing. Father in heaven, thank you again for this opportunity to bring the word to this sweet body of saints here. I pray, God, that as you work through this outpost of your kingdom, that in all things you would be glorified in them and through them, and that you would, by your good pleasure, uh, bring this body Um, forward through another year of deserts, teaching them to long for you and relieving themselves uh, uh, in, in your grace. And that as they see the ways that you've delivered them, they would be amazed to see how you've delivered them, that they would boast in you alone, that it was you who brought us out, that you delivered us, and that we again would 
would have a fresh longing for you. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.